All right, we are live here with uh, Memory Tracks, episode number 37. I had a goal to get to 50 by the end of the year. Don't think it's going to happen. Scheduling is just too tough. But 37 still feels good. we got a month and a half to go, so we'll see how far we get. Um, but today, I've got an awesome guest. It's my friend Brian Parker. You can say hello. Hello there. So happy to have you on. It's really cool. Um, I think I was trying to think back to how we first met and I think it was like around 2007-ish South by Southwest, right? Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I, I couldn't call a year, but yeah, I, I believe you. Somewhere around like I started South by around 2006, I think. So, it would have been second or third year for me. Yeah. But yeah, we volunteered together and you know, this is I was thinking about this um I've been in Austin for 12 years and you know, you probably have been here longer, right? Yeah, I, I moved to Austin in 2001. 2001, yeah. And so I've had gone through various stages. I don't know if you have as well of like, oh, I should leave Austin and go somewhere else and experience something new. You see all these people move other places and different things. Uh, and then, you know, I've, I've stayed. And um, something that's really cool about that is just paths crossing over the years with people that you meet in completely, you know, random circumstances like we happen to be volunteering together and then now it's been 12 years or however long and I still see you regularly at random shows or events around town or whatever it may be and it's just it's always cool to bump into familiar faces and and do that and so I'm really happy to bring you onto this because it's it'll be awesome to get to know you even better and swap some stories yeah thanks for having me on I'm really thrilled to be here and uh yeah I totally agree with everything you're saying I, I think that I mean, Austin is getting bigger and bigger, but it is kind of still a small town and always has yeah. been. And and particularly in those, you know, communities like, like the music community or right. uh, like the improv community. I have friends and it feels like a really small community. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's you kind of go from being like, oh, there's that guy. I know yeah. that guy. Like, <laughs> you know, and and it feels the first time, like the second time you see them, though, you're like, is that the same guy? Right. Um <laughs> Because we are all, you know, white dudes with beards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there is that problem of, right. you know, diversity. Which one issue. of those guys is that guy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's I. It has been great to continue to run across you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool too, because you talk about like music kind of being the overlap, and uh, I, I definitely admire. Kind of, we were talking about this before you started, but you're a very, uh, you keep yourself very busy, very productive, in a lot of things that you do. Um, and I think self, like uh, on my own front, this has kind of been a goal of mine of doing the podcast is I felt like I wasn't doing enough things and being productive mm -hmm. enough. So it was like, well, this is something I can hold myself accountable to because I'm putting it out there. Uh, and you've certainly done that for a long time with all of the different things that you do. Um, yeah, it's, you were it's, going through all like <laughs> run me down again. So give for, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, share, share with us kind of your, your touch into all of that. Okay. Um, I Unless mean, it's going to spoil a bunch of stories. Like no, that. no, not at all. Um, I'll, I'll do a really quick yeah. run rundown. And I, I'll even go way back, which it, not too far, because there was really one big project uh, called Urban Pollution that I did uh, around 2005 okay. um, as a blog. And, and, and it ran for, I don't know, a year or so, a year and a half. And um, it was a ton of fun, but, you know, that kind of overworked, underpaid situation yeah. uh, was kind of ridiculous. We had, like, I, we recruited all these people to, like, write for us, and we had, like, 25 or 30 writers, and it was me and another guy who were basically, like, 
editing everything instead of doing any writing. Yeah. Um, and then like a coder who had did a really nice website to for the blog. And this was in the early days. There were not that many online not blogs. Not as many blogs. Yeah, yeah, not at all. I feel like actually some of the blogs that were popping up around the time that we started are mm -hmm. now like some of those huge blogs yeah. that hundreds of thousands of people follow. Yeah. Sometimes I shudder to think like what might have <laughs> what happened. What could have happened. But it was my, my own uh, neuroses and, and madness that collapsed the project ultimately. But um, – <laughs> But yeah, it's it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I did realize it, it ended, and then I realized at some point between that and the next big project that I could actually generate about as much writing as thirty people, mm. because they were mostly flaky dudes and ladies, like in college and right. not in college and right. working, you know, whatever half-ass job. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, so I was like, I think I can just generate this much writing. I've always as, as you kind of said, kind of just been very driven and, and can crank out a lot of work. Um, and so Pop Press International um, is, is, was the next kind of big project, and it's a blog. It's still active. Um, there have been about, about 2,000 posts on the blog, I think, wow. which is, yeah. It's pretty big. Yeah. Pretty big moment. Yeah, and I, th I, I think I've written around 1,500 of those, and the stats are in there yeah. I could look at, but that, those are rough numbers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's gone well. It started in 2011, and it's still kind of going. It's it's a little bit on the back burner now, but track reviews, live reviews, album reviews, interviews, whatever, what have you, you yeah, know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I did a couple of issues of a print zine called Truth Sincerity. Mm -hmm. um, I would really love to get back to Truth Sincerity. It's like kind of on the front burner, um, and I I hope that there's a return of that soon. Yeah. And then the, the main thing distracting me from any of that stuff is that my freelance work is really picked up. And the main outlet I freelance for is Austin Monthly. Mm -hmm. um, and I do their, their album reviews every month and then fairly frequently contribute an interview or a feature or a spotlight. Um, I got to write a longer article about you know, Austin music, um, earlier this year. And, uh, and then I've done some kind of, I'm interested, I have a wide range of interests and that's always kind of been part of my personality. And so I, um, I got to do my first sports writing just to, uh, oh, ran cool. in the current issue actually this month. I know you're issue. an Astros fan. I, I am an Astros <laughs> fan, um, and a Spurs fan. And so I got to write oh, an yeah. article about the Austin Spurs, which Rockets is their myself, G League team. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. May I have a fist fight in the middle of the uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I got to write an article about the Austin Spurs and shoot their open tryout. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a photographer oh, cool. as well, yeah. which we're throwing onto the mix yeah. now. But yeah, so I took photos there and wrote an article about their open tryouts, which was a, a really cool process. And awesome. they had like, Jonathan Simmons was kind of their big success story, which cool. I think put their open tryouts kind of on the map because lots of teams have them. Yeah. But Simmons went from the Austin Spurs to being called up to the the San Antonio Spurs, yeah. and then ended up starting in the playoffs oh, when wow. their star yeah. player, Kawhi Leonard, was out. And so now he's got a multi-million dollar contract for the Orlando wow. Magic. So and it so, actually worked. Yeah, it yeah, worked. Story. It's, it's yeah. a cool, yeah. And so so I got to write that article recently, and um, I wrote, I went to Cuba and wrote a, a travel article about Cuba for, <laughs> for um, Austin Monthly. And yeah. so uh, a little bit of writing in various domains. But um, yeah, and then photography is the last big thing, and I've I've done a ton of live music photography and shot, you know, South by Southwest and Free Press Summer Festival in Houston and ACL here and mm -hmm. fun, fun, fun. And then Sound on Sound and um, a couple other little things, this festival in New Orleans and, and then just lots of bands in every bar in the city. So yeah. some portrait work and nice. always busy. Are you going to um, Day for Night? 
I um I am shooting a wedding that weekend. Oh bummer. Yeah, okay. and I it's it's probably saving me actually because yeah. I always go and I end up probably spending like usually when I do an out of town festival it's for my blog rather than Austin Monthly and so right. I'm not actually getting paid anything. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's probably saving me money it's for the best. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> weddings pay a lot better than yeah, live I music would imagine so. <laughs> There's a long line of people willing to shoot live music photography for, for in exchange a, for a ticket. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they don't, you know, so it's hard. It's a little hard to get paid doing that. But yeah. weddings are, it keeps uh, keeps the projects afloat. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading your, um, I think it was Austin Monthly post earlier about uh, the parish being listed for a dollar on eBay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, that news broke today. And, That's uh, wild. It is, and I've seen so many great shows there. Yeah, actually, some of the, at least one of the bands that we're gonna talk about. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, cool. No spoilers. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, um, it's a great room, and uh, it's weird. I mean, I of course will like turn to my wife, and I was like, "You don't want to buy the pair." <laughs> no, I think it's for gonna a dollar. Sell, yeah, for a dollar. I think it's. I mean, even the dance hall that that guy, the ATX Brands guy, sold yeah. in the same way in a small town in South Texas went mm -hmm. for like half a million. I mean, I think the parish will end up going for oh, yeah. no, I mean, multiple it's, million. It's, yeah. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. It's a dollar. It's a, Everyone it's laughs. It's really genius marketing. Yeah. And it's cool <laughs> that they're, at least they're doing that. I mean, it won't stay a dollar for very long. Yeah. But. And it'll draw attention to whoever buys it. And if they keep it as a venue, which they probably won't, but who knows? We'll see. But yeah, I thought that was a funny article. I hope they do. Yeah. I mean, I he so. sold um, Scoot In earlier this year as well. Oh, that's right. And yeah. uh, it stayed a venue. He, he he has said, uh, Doug. I'm struggling for his last name right now, but um, the guy that runs ATX yeah. Brands, that owns it, the owner, he has said that he he thinks it will stay a venue. Oh. I don't know if that's optimistic or not, but he believes it will. Yeah. Um, I think Sixth Street. Harder to say. There are not that many things you could do with the Scoot End space. Right. It kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, unless you were gonna. It's going to be a condo eventually, right? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, there's so many going up that it's it'll probably hold out. Yeah. Yeah, Parrish is weird. I've all, I agree. Like it, it, it's such a great space, but um, because it's situated upstairs, you don't get any passerby traffic. Like you can't hear or look in to see what the vibe is. Uh, so you know that's one thing that you know when Vegas used to have the windows open, that was always such a good draw. People would walk by and hear and could actually look in and see. And if they saw a crowd and it sounded cool, then they might actually stop in. Yeah, but yeah. Paris, so you gotta walk up like that staircase that turns and they card you before you can get anywhere near the music. Yeah. Like, so I think it's a, it's a tough sell, but hope for the best. Yeah, so. I I just, I've seen so many, but it, it's it's nice to. I mean, I love a dive. Yeah, uh, you know, punk rock dive is certainly fun, mm -hmm. um, but it is nice to have like a venue that is not ultra yuppie. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of the yuppiness vibe too, mm -hmm. but it's nice to have a venue that like is a little refined for like nicer shows. I mean, I the the show that stands out in my mind is is an Ockerville River show I saw there in 2003, yeah. which is so it was like, like the second record release yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. and it was transformative down the river. Yeah, down the river of Golden yeah. Dreams, and the room's like half full, and and uh, people are, you know, I mean, I remember Will Chef just completely losing it during Kansas City and yeah. stomping, yeah. you know, and it just was giving them his all. Yeah, really good stuff, really yeah. good stuff. Great memories in that space. I hope it stays, but yeah. it it has gotten weirder lately. Yeah, and I think I think they shifted towards the private event 
market more than the booking band so yeah yeah what i don't know but yeah there's just a lot of venues now yeah like as much as we cry over venues that close there's a lot of places there are a lot of a lot of rooms a lot of bands though the other really weird thing that i just felt like it was too weird or dark to throw into that article i wrote for also monthly today but uh little peep played his (laughs) i think his last show there uh, oh yeah you know, he He's died just passed. yeah uh, and he played wow. there november 11th wow and i don't maybe he did actually have a couple more because i think he died the like the 14th or the 14th yeah and he was it was before a show in el paso but i mean oh, man. he never made it out of texas and wow not to make a joke of that but that's a bummer man like, yeah i i wish people you know people there more people need to make it out of texas you know it's yeah i'm kind of being snarky but anyway. well, i'm not i'm not very familiar with his, his music <laughs> he's like i don't know i've so actually I never heard a little peep much. track <laughs> i just saw that he played there and then that he died so he um i think it was like uh kind of like a really emotional rap okay um, i think yeah. there's this interesting brand of rap coming out that's actually it i don't know what it's it sounds like pop i think yeah but I'm speculating on all of this. This is just yeah. me winging it. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think it sounds like pop music, like a radio pop. Right. But it's a mix of like pop it, punk from our, like, huh. like the late 90s. Yeah. And rap. But like rap production. Yeah. And not actually singing, more just kind of. It's rapping, like but with like, yeah. the sensibility looks more like, it's like leather vests with like a lot of tattoos. And it's like, huh. and I feel like, like that, white dudes, that, you know? Uh, what was the big the AE what was the big magazine um AP or yeah AP yeah yeah alternative this was, uh, no, uh, alternative, alternative, alternative press, press. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah AP yeah yeah well anyway uh, yeah we'll have to dig into that but luckily <laughs> we won't be listening to any of that no nope, the songs not on the list today, today. <laughs> they have not uh, created very many memories for <laughs> Brian yet but who knows maybe they will we'll see um well should we jump into the first track let's do it let's do it all right so this one is one that I think most people should know it's an excellent song. It's called Tonight Tonight, and it's by the Smashing Pumpkins.
That was Tonight Tonight, 1996, from the Smashing Pumpkins. On that was Melancholy and the yeah. Infinite Sadness. Yep, the they're they're epic. I guess was, was it a double or a triple album? Double album. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't it, on vinyl. I don't know how many vinyls it would be. Yeah, I, I don't have know. it on that record on vinyl, but it's it's um. I mean, it was the, the CDs were long. Yeah, it was thirteen or fourteen or more tracks on. Yeah, each one on of the each discs. Disc, yeah. 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 I mean that's it's a long piece for sure. Yeah. It's a great song though. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I mean for for me, it just in you know, kind of in response to the the motif of the show and how the the whole this podcast works. I mean yeah. it's so evocative of I think a a point in time for me, uh, mm-hmm. which is like seventh grade, you know. Um and uh and remind me where you up yeah like what, where was that? i grew up in east texas okay in a small fairly small town called longview oh yeah um and That's uh Day. yeah yeah but there's about longview washington but yeah but... if i wanted to go a little <laughs> further back i could have put green days Longview <laughs> on on my list actually right i think that that would have been you know but yeah, i told you you'd get to sneak in some other stuff. yeah it that wasn't even one on my short list but it is i i listen to that record a ton um around the same time i guess actually but mm. um but yeah this this song just for me really recalls like seventh grade and i and i think it was just a a turning point in a trajectory for music um you know i mean growing up i mostly listened to like um country music that people mm. around me were listening to east texas yeah, east texas sense. yeah and um and you know a little bit of pop punk or, or like metal music or whatever like I, it was a weird time. Yeah. Um, East Texas is like that, right? It's like totally. metal yeah. or country. Right. And they're they're not that different. Yeah. Actually, they're like very steeped. Oh man, you're gonna upset genre. some listeners. <laughs> well, they're very steeped in like a, a genre yeah. allegiance. It's like yeah. this is how you do things. There's not a lot of variance. And that's in there. An, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I, I see yeah. the the overlap there. And I I feel like Smashing Pumpkins came along, and I mean, of course, they took the entire world by surprise with this album yeah um but um yeah for me i mean even like the classes i that i like my specific friends and classes and everything about my seventh grade year is much more clear than for example like my sixth or eighth grade year and i think the smashing pumpkins had a lot to do with that it was a turning point for me in music and i think you know the theatricality of this song yeah and um 30 piece string orchestra yeah did you hear that yeah. i didn't know that it's pretty wild but i'm glad you did the research on that i think billy corgan says that it's like his uh the most exciting time that he's ever spent in a recording studio was i believe it song. listen yeah. to it yeah it's unbelievable yeah. it's breathtaking and and i think that it's crazy too because that first verse is so quiet mm-hmm. it's like basically you know pick very quietly picked guitar right um and and then it's like the snares kick in at the bridge and then it just erupts in the course. Yeah. And I think that the, that kind of dramatic sweeping, it's emotional. And I think for a kid, that's, it's really like life changing. Yeah. Um, 
and you know is it's the lyrics i think still actually hold up for like some halfway decent poetry i mean you know probably a little melodramatic i mean they just call it melancholy and the sadness the album is so i mean i think it, the the lyrics are certainly a little dramatic but i can so clearly remember like spending a ton of time in uh my friend scott butler who actually is an austinite who oh, cool. yeah. plays in the band uh black and white years oh yeah yeah are they do they still perform or do they... it's they have yeah, yeah they have even recently for sure okay. but scott and i were really close friends in middle school cool yeah. um and uh and and high, well, i guess more high school uh but we and we were still this would be the beginning of a long uh you know relationship with smashing pumpkins and their yeah. music but yeah um but yeah i mean i can remember spending so many hours like in in his uh upstairs like bedroom with like bad car like 90s carpet like yep. learning to play <laughs> tonight tonight um and today um, uh -huh. on the guitar and like writing really bad poetry <laughs> about about like darkness and nothing yeah. and sadness and um yeah but i think that the beginning of finding out about yourself and about music and what you like is is a little melodramatic it, it kind of oh, has to be yeah you're just opening the door to those emotions and letting them all spill out but you haven't really experienced enough of actual life to do anything but that totally so. <laughs> yeah you have no frame of reference right yeah yeah it's oh, okay. you're a ridiculous human but um <laughs> but yeah and so i think that i mean this song for me is is like a marker of the first time that i think music was something really special to me and yeah. i think also because everyone wasn't into it and i i think that you know, people get a bad rap as like labeled hipsters for being like, oh, you like obscure music or you're yeah. that guy. And it's like, well, it is kind of special to, to feel like there's something that is yours to some yeah. degree. Um, I and it's I, a very like human emotion that is mislabeled as being hipster, but it's like yeah. everybody wants to feel that. Absolutely. And everybody seeks it out in different forms. It's just hipsters get the reputation of the art and music side of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, I've gone kind of the opposite direction and as I've gotten older and, and you get it, like you see the universality in things more so. Yeah. And yeah. you mentioned the Astros earlier, you know, mm -hmm. and so like being a, you know, being a sports fan is kind of the opposite of that right. because everyone's just rooting for the same thing. And right. and there's something beautiful about that too. Well, but, but the Spurs are a small market team, right? That's, so. They are, they are, yeah. <laughs> but there's something beautiful about connecting to other humans, but there's also something beautiful in kind of like having this secret or having this thing that's just yours. Um, and I think the Smashing Pumpkins were that for me and, and like my small circle of friends. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't really fit into like any group, you know, um, we, like we weren't cool, but we also weren't like really stoners or we weren't, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah. we just were, I guess we were nerds really. We were music nerds, yeah. I guess is what we were. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Do you think, so I, I wonder about that now with things like Spotify and stuff, like, because I mean, I had similar, I actually didn't really. I don't think I had particularly good taste until college, to be honest. Um, I mean, I had very predictable tastes. Oh, same, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about a, a big part of that is just because you have no money, so you're not going out and buying music. I mean, it, we did have Napster and stuff, but I didn't really do that much myself because my parents wouldn't let us. And uh, we used, I used Kazaa a little bit and maybe a little bit of Morpheus. Kazaa, man. But I never... I haven't thought about Kazaa yeah. in a number of years. <laughs> but even then, like, it was so slow. Like, you really had to want to get stuff. And so, like, most of what you get would be, like, burned CDs from friends and yeah, stuff. So totally. it's kind of whatever friend group you fell into. But now you think about, like, 
for kids i mean like kids are quote air quotes hipsters right uh you know it's as easy to be into the different niche styles as you know as soon as you get your spotify account it's like at your fingertips <laughs> and it's crazy i mean something i didn't mention in my projects but is we may i guess you had a maybe but it I, i'm a full-time high school teacher yeah and yeah, oh, so, yeah of course so you um, experience this every day it is and it's weird and it, but also the kids there's this weird um i will say it, it's still far more homogenous than you'd think mm -hmm. um the waves in culture and what artists get popular hmm. very homogenous um, lots of kids liking the same stuff. Yeah. And if I'm playing like a weird track or something in my classroom and I play music and, you know, especially between classes and stuff, yeah, often kids walk in and, and if it's not a recognizable radio yeah. hit, like no the big song, their immediate reaction is usually like, what's this? This, this <laughs> is weird. Disgusted with it. This yeah. sucks. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because I feel like it, it, I'm generalizing to some degree, but if a kid doesn't know something, yeah, they just immediately don't like it. Yeah, it's about familiarity, and and then you get the one kid though that comes in that's like, "What's this?" Yeah. You know, and I th I feel like that that was me to some yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. You want to attach the weird thing, and and it does amaze me because um, there every once in a while, every couple of years, really, you'll get this one kid that does have like unbelievable music taste. They're like, you know, I mean, obviously Joy Division shirts are all over the place, but the the one kid who actually knows. Joy Division's music, because right. you have no idea how many Nirvana shirts there are yeah. at the high school where I work. None of those kids listen to Nirvana. You know, they like <laughs> bought it at the mall. Who was it? Um, like, it was like one of the the Jenner girls, I think, wore the Nirvana oh, really? shirt, and then that's when like Nirvana re-peaked back into the culture. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, and it's and that's another funny thing is as much as I'm around kids and I do get doses of this just ultra mainstream kid culture. Yeah. Um, sometimes it, the things I'm the least familiar with are the most popular hmm. because I'm just like, it's, it's not in my yeah. sphere of yeah, what I'm following yeah. or interested yeah. in. So it's but weird. It, it's more in your sphere than it is in, in mine. And that's probably just fascinating yeah. to think about like what goes through your mind when people react that way. That's yeah. pretty awesome. It is. It's, <laughs> it's fun and kids are fun. Yeah. Um, but like I played a, a flaming lip song for them at some point this year and it, I think I can't I can't remember which one it was. It, I think it was something off of Soft Bulletin, and yeah. they're they're just like this is so weird, and you're like it's really it's really not it's that really weird. Not, it's yeah. really just like very, and you know again but back yeah, to frame of no reference. Context, yeah, yeah, no context. It, yeah. It's it's strange. But what uh, uh, what age kids do you teach? I teach juniors, so they're like sixteen okay. turning seventeen. Yeah, what um, subject? Teach English. Yeah, it's a it's a rhetoric course, so it's, there's a lot of writing. Yeah. Um. So I'm teaching a lot of. You're actually positioned well to open some doors. But I always think like I think my junior English teacher opened a lot of doors for me as far as like the material that we read and stuff. And I remember my junior English teacher. I was like really into Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. In like <laughs> sophomore junior year, and we read um, Grapes of Wrath, which was like i considered that my favorite book for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, i still love that book um but you know there's the uh rage did the cover song of the ghost of tom, tom joe yeah and i didn't know i mean i knew it was a cover but i wasn't familiar with this bob dylan right yeah bob dylan? i know springsteen played it on an album later oh no i think um it, no, it i think could, it is dylan i believe you yeah, um, but who? What, there are I, a couple of versions. I was of that familiar song. with the Rage yeah. song, right. and I remember like <laughs> so. I 
I, I stayed after class with my English teacher who was like probably her name was Miss Jones and she was, was in her like I would guess late 50s early 60s or so awesome woman like just really cool uh, and so I was telling her about the song I was like oh you need to listen to this like it's grapes of wrath stuff and so I made her a mixtape of Rage Against the Machine stuff because we were also doing like Civil Disobedience and Thoreau and Emerson nice. and all this stuff and so I was like, oh, yeah, well, Rage is all about, you know, like, civil disobedience. <laughs> protest. So I made her a Rage Against the Machine mixtape. And I mean, it was a CD, but uh, yeah. And I gave it to her and she listened to it for like a period of two weeks. And then she wrote me this like really long email about like the songs that she liked. And she was like, I think I might want to go get a tattoo, which had nothing to do with anything. But it was just like her. She was just like, oh, yeah, I'm relating to this. That's uh, so amazing. Weird way she, so I love cool. I love, by the way, um, people's like teacher stories. Yeah. I love them. We all like, have that's them. That's a great yeah. story. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's so funny. I, I just I like was laughing too hard in the middle of that over you. Sorry. But like that is just okay. so funny. The idea of like uh, like do you know the Rage Against the Mission song like that? Because it's kind of back to Smashing Pumpkins is perfect yeah. because they did this cover of Landslide. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I was obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins yeah. for like most of middle and high school. Yeah. And I had, I think there was a point where I had like 30 Smashing Pumpkins CDs because I had all oh these like, God, you had all the, like singles. And, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And there's one, I think it's on this, I think it was in a, like a European only import. Mm -hmm. I think this is what it's on. And it's on, I think the main song was this also a cover, Dancing in the Moonlight. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it was on there. Actually, I can't even remember. I'm, I'm getting, I'm not, I'm talking out of turn because no, I, no, no, no. I can't good. remember these things. <laughs> but the point of all this is that they, they did a cover of Landslide, mm -hmm. the Fleetwood Mac song. Right. Um, oh, I thought it was Dixie Chicken. <laughs> exactly. And I think like pretty quickly I did learn that it was a Fleetwood Mac song. Right. But I do think that the first time I ever heard Landslide yeah. might have been um, the Smashing Pumpkins version. Yeah. And I don't think I ever did this, but I can totally imagine myself like going to someone yeah. and saying, um, oh, do you know that Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> song, Landslide? It's, it's really good. You know? God, that reminds me of earlier today or yesterday at work. Someone was like, they... Um, they sent me a, a link to some song that I have no idea who this band is, some new current, you know, shitty band probably. And they had covered and recorded and released like a studio cover of Kiss by Prince. And I'm obsessed with Prince. Everybody knows that. And so any time a Prince thing is comes out, then it's like I get texts from people about it. Like, what do you think about this? Like, what do you think about people covering Prince? And I'm like, well, shouldn't be done, um, <laughs> obviously, in that context. Uh but now I'm like mortified at the idea of somebody liking that version of it mm. and thinking that Kiss was not a Prince song. Yeah. Just oh. like going to someone and be like, have you heard this song <laughs> Kiss by 21 Pilots? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I, can't I can't tell you how many kids, uh, like their favorite, literally quote, favorite band is 21 Pilots. Oh, God. Um, and I don't, I sound so snotty and I don't mean to be in no, it just like I, I was know, a kid know, without taste and it's yeah. cool. And honestly, I prefer a kid who's re being really emotional and getting into music, Yeah. but it is hard. It's hard to relate because, you know, I want to be supportive and responsive and it yeah. is hard when they're like, Oh, do you know 21 pilots? It's like, uh, uh huh. Yeah. And they're like, like, do you like them? And say. I'm like, uh, oh, like that's not my main choice, right. but it's like just I hard mean, to know what to is say. Honestly, like. I, you know, I've, I've 
discussed this at past podcasts, but you know, regrettably, I was a humongous like. T- you said you had thirty Smashing Pumpkin CDs. I probably had sixty Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, and I. I mean, I listened to those albums too. A ton yeah, in that same era. Right. I mean, I just think it was the I. I people who escaped that. I, I don't want to say that they're they're better than the Twenty One Pilots, but. Are they? It's probably <laughs> it's probably just the the, per- the time period that you're stuck in. Oh, jeez. But yeah. um, but yeah, it's it's funny because like with I, with landslide, I was gonna mention. I mean, it's it's also kind of criminal that I didn't know the song landslide, which yeah. you think like how would you avoid right. knowing that song? Right. And like another seminal part of like the Smashing Pumpkins story, I think for me is is that my parents were not super musical people. Mm, yeah. Um, which almost everyone who's into music and I played in bands in college and, and like went on a little tour at one point with a yeah. band and, but I was never, I'm, I'm better at writing about music than I am about, uh, than I'm at Making playing it, music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's just a, a fact. Um, but I, uh, you know, my parents were, everybody that's into music, I think they're always like, Oh, my parents always had Bob Dylan on. Right. Like, we right. had all these records. We did not have records. Yeah. We did not have anything. Yeah. Uh, we never listened to music in the house. And, um, you know, they, I mean, I learned about like CCR, mm-hmm. like we basically had a classic rock station in right. Longview and that's what my dad played all the time. So there's some great songs. Yeah. There. There's like, a lot to learn. Yeah. There's that, a lot obviously. to learn from yeah. that. And he knew a ton of that stuff that was popular when he was probably at frat parties in the seventies, which yeah. is, you know, um, its own story, I guess. But <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I, I didn't know, like I, my black, my musical knowledge was very limited i think going into my you know throughout childhood and even going into college yeah um and so when the smashing pumpkins uh, i went to probably like warp tours and stuff because in longview some of my first concerts yeah yeah and some of my first concerts people don't understand that about warp tour as much as we all shit on it it's like it really opens the door for a lot of people because they bring a huge amount of bands to cities that never get bands yeah and we i had to go to dallas still to see it they didn't come to longview but it was but they made an event out of it where it was just accessible yeah yeah and and i mean i i uh you know and i did listen to a lot of pop punk then too and and that's probably some of the first concerts i saw were like were warp tours um but the smashing pumpkins would have would have been i think my first concert because that was mm. probably before the oh, work cool. tours yeah. and, it, and it would have been but what happened was literally my my scott actually who mm-hmm. who got to see that show um uh had like eighth row tickets and there was a ticket for me and it was opening season opening day of deer hunting season <laughs> and my dad is a very big deer hunter oh no i can see where this is going and i was forced to go deer hunting oh my god and i and and i mean this was not easy like i was i was like not sure you're quiet about it i was clear about like what are you doing to me yeah it wasn't like i just you know acquiesced and still it was like no you're gonna go deer hunting oh my gosh so i was forced to go deer hunting instead of seeing the smashing pumpkins melancholy infinite sadness tour on in the eighth row (laughs) unforgivable Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for uh, your support in this. Uh, I think we all have a handful of those moments when we look back to our parents forcing us to do things we didn't want to do and yeah. us being really shitty about it to them. But that's one that, yeah, it's just, that will always burn you. 
always. Yeah. I don't know that I can ever live it down. I did the, the redemption. I did get to photograph Smashing Pumpkins on a really small stage um, at South by Southwest this past uh, year, or two years ago, three years ago, when it was like on East Six or something. Or it was, but I think that's been longer than that. I think it yeah. was twenty thirteen. I think you're probably right, actually. Yeah. I'm yeah. Thinking about it. But it was yeah. um, it was great to see him. Yeah. I mean, even after all these years, it was fun, and it, you know. Yeah, I think I've seen him once or twice, and you know, obviously it would have been cool to see him with Darcy and yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a story about James, but we've we've riffed on this for a while. So it's I'm been a while. Sneaking in in another, that in works. another podcast. I feel like I got a lot of good good shit in here too for myself. So you're helping me cheat when I inevitably have to pick my three songs. Okay. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right. So the next one is um, definitely in, in a similar vein. So we're gonna rock out to it, and it's a song called "Debaser" by the Pixies. Here we go. Debaser by the Pixies. And God, how amazing are the Pixies that that came out in 1989? Yeah. And yet 
still feels like it could have come out yesterday. Absolutely. <laughs> like, that's, it's so good. Yeah. Such a good song. I mean, I think I consistently um, put the Pixies in, still in my top like five bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I probably could have picked any of the songs on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this that's the album opener for Doolittle, and I think that you know it's the first you put in the album, and that's what you hear. I mean, right. Back to what you were, you were mentioning earlier, just thinking about Spotify or whatever. And I, I don't think it's just being like a luddite and and being stuck in the you know stuck in your like ways or whatever set yeah. in your ways. That I, I do think that there are things we lose, and I think there are things we gain with the changes in culture. And so I'm not arguing it's all bad, but I mean. The art of an album, mm-hmm. it's like a bummer to lose that. Um, you know, what it feels like to put it on and have the first track hit you in a certain way yeah. and then to move through an album and, and how, how the songs unfold. Um, but I mean, that opening bass line, um, you know, I mean, Kim Deal is just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And I think... I, I will say, and I'm going to cut you off, but I don't no, want to lose that, that first thought. And I'm probably an exception to the rule because um, I've always been more of a record person. I like to put a record on start and listen all the way through. And with Spotify, I actually find that I'm having trouble connecting with back halves of albums more than I used to because I do, when a new record comes out, I start with the first song and I go back. And then because I have instant access to so many other things, then if I get bored halfway through, then I'll go pick something else and start on the first track on another record. Whereas if it was a CD back in the day, then you'd have to like pop it out of the player. Like that's pain in the ass. So you weren't putting that together. So I mean, I think first tracks still are very important. Yeah. Even in the digital age. No, I and I I don't disagree with that. But it's I just think it's kind of the age of the single. Yeah. Is the thing like yeah. m- almost the whole album gets lost. It's True. just it's yeah. just like there's that one track that everyone's listening but to. But there wasn't there. I mean, in at least in pop music, even when we were kids oh yeah still the there's only concept. one on the radio yeah. you know or one or two on the radio there's so many shitty records too that were like one hit one built hit, entirely yeah. around the single right yeah. yeah um and and then there's the opposite too though where like you think the single's good and then you get it and you realize it's the worst song on the album yeah. and like all the other songs are better <laughs> yeah um and i couldn't think of examples of either of those off the top of my head but it is it's just interesting to think about the format yeah. the album but Very Doolittle's true. an incredible album front to back um the memory that's so evocative here for me is is um the summer before my freshman year of high school um and throughout my of my most of my freshman year of high school um i i was dating this girl um and she was she was a little older maybe even two years older than me mm-hmm. um and I feel like she just kind of like decided I was going to be her boyfriend. You know, she like set her eyes on me. Yeah, you didn't was, have a say yeah, in it. I did not have a say, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like she pulled up. We went to church together. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, I mean, I can remember exactly where I was standing. Yeah. And um, I was like coming out of the, the building. And I feel like she like, it, it's probably drama- dramatized like in my mind a of little course, bit. Of course, yeah. But like she like almost like pulled up, you know, like like in front of me, you know, like <laughs> almost like where'd the car even come from? Right. Like it just pops yeah. up. And she just like pulls up and then like kind of breaks abruptly, like car comes to a stop. Yeah. And she's just like, hey, like it's kind of like that, you know? <laughs> um, and I feel very like the cinematic. Pixies were on. Yeah, very cinematic in my brain anyway, right, right. now. It's very cinematic. Right. And uh, the Pixies, I, I say they had to be on. I mean, they may not have been. Um, the other band, I think I could have put it right here that might have been on. And, and 
it couldn't have been here because no one's the pixies yeah but it does it's that same time period as she also really got me into violent femmes yeah. um oh yeah which did an, another similar thing but anyway so i i feel like it had to be the pixies on because that was always right the album that was on in her car right and just like driving around in longview because there's nothing to do in longview right this is really before the internet yeah at all really i yeah. mean aol is maybe still like kind of going on and chat rooms got boring pretty fast so um we didn't really have the internet so driving around in longview was like what we did you know yeah and so driving around in her car and listening to the pixies is you know it was and it so was so many in, hours so yeah. many hours yeah. and it's another huge turning point where this you know this song and this whole album just blew my mind like yeah. oh my god like this i can't believe what music can even be um and so many critics have have written about it better than I could ever at this point, but just you know the the sounds of that album, where like the guitars and the drums, they sound like they're all coming from different places mm -hmm. in in the you know around you, and some are really loud and some are really quiet. It sounds like they're all recorded in different times yeah. in different rooms, yeah. and yet they all sound great together. Right. Yeah. Everything has a part that's meant to be there, but you have no idea how anybody ever came up with those parts being there together absolutely yeah. that's a great way to describe it yeah it's it's utterly mind-blowing and i agree with you that still now when you hear it um it, it's almost i hope that it hasn't for anyone gotten to the point where you it's like pre, you just write it off as like oh that's that yeah. um i hope that people still slow down and listen to the pixies because they're unbelievable yeah um you know and even their big songs that have become so iconic that we might overlook as being truly great, like Where Is My Mind? Yeah. I mean, you think about that acoustic guitar in the beginning, uh -huh. and then, like, the heavy just, like, kick drum and snare, and then it's it's just an unbelievable song. So the, the Pixies are great at that. Man, like, I... So I really didn't know about the Pixies in high school or anything like that. I think the first time I figured out that the Pixies were a thing was, like, freshman year of college... It became obsessed with the idea of Coachella, and that was before Coachella was like Brochella. Yeah, in my defense, um, and I was like obsessed with going to Coachella, and they like released that documentary. I think that premiered at South by, and I went and saw it. Um, it loud, loud, quiet, loud. That one. Or no, I think it's just called early Coachella. Early. Oh, yeah, the Coachella like, documentary. Yeah, like the I was like, that documentary. seems really early for the Pixies. No, yeah, no, I've seen that one. Yeah, um, um, and you know, they it was basically just like a collection of performances over the first like four years of Coachella or something like that. One of them was the Pixies and they did Where Is My Mind was the song that they picked. Uh, I was like, holy shit, this song's incredible. Like I had never heard it for whatever reason. And that wasn't really enough to like get me into it. But then I think the baser was like featured on like that rock band game. And that was like yeah. really popular by like sophomore, junior year of college. Yeah. And so like, you know, you'd sing it. And I remember like the, uh, you know, the, the chorus, I had no idea what the fuck he was saying. <laughs> And I think that's kind of the point. Um, and so, you know, you would just mumble whatever. And I've, like, karaoke the song before and, like, still, like, it comes up. You're like, well, what? that's what it is. But then in researching for tonight, yeah. it's the name of the, it's the French film, um, which yeah. is Unchain. Yeah, Unchain Andalou. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Unchain Andalou. It's a French, yeah, uh, Luis Buñuel. Yeah. And uh, this guy, I mean, that whole song is references to that. Yeah. film where yeah. like slicing up eyeballs up yeah. Yeah. yeah um it's a surrealist film with with like a lot of weird imagery in it and yeah. and i think that's a big part too i mean same i guess we are getting a peek in a 
the darkness of my soul or something with like <laughs> the weird nothingness poetry of my middle school years and and i think yeah slicing up eyeballs is just such a fucking visceral phrase um and uh absolutely appealed to me as a kid and um and yeah i think it's just more of that like oddity and weirdness and you're just like i want to go deeper into that whatever that is yeah. i want more of that yeah. um but yeah i mean it's it's just a powerful track um but yeah it i mean it's in a hard song to sing i mean yeah i can't believe you, you've karaoke this song i can't oh, imagine I, I, when i karaoke it. it's not about being good it's about of course loving the song. everyone says that but <laughs> i still karaoke is like i've had some intense struggles with karaoke um because i am an awful singer um and it's strange like i can whistle pretty well okay and yeah. so like i i can hear the pitch yeah I, my vocal cords don't make pitch like i'm awful at it um and so it's incredible the depths i've had to go to to find some like tracks that i can karaoke and feel yeah. like not awful at yeah and you'll probably see like a, a, a consistent theme like just two that come to mind are um cake the distance yes that's a good one that's an excellent karaoke song it's a great karaoke song yeah. and that's i've had to find the sweet spot of like it's fun to sing but i can actually do it because that song doesn't have a lot pitch is not important right. that important right. that song um and, and it checks the boxes of it's a song that people know that it's fun there's not too many like solos and shit in it that yes. throw you off. yeah yes absolutely everyone knows that in there it's like there's a refrain there's a lot of the same lyrics yeah, yeah absolutely um and another one is uh loser by beck yeah which like similarly yeah you know um i actually did the the bet i probably the best karaoke story i have is doing beck's loser in a the rvip no but i feel like we've done karaoke together in that at one point we did <laughs> over south by at some point not like duet but like we oh yeah partying. in the same room yeah um I think that, that I did go to a, a South by one that one year. It was like down at first started. I mean, I'm talking about the RVIP, which is when it was like the RV that drives around with karaoke oh, machine during South by Southwest. I don't think I've ever done that. No, okay. no. But well, I did go to a South by Southwest we'll do that party. All right, I'm down. Um, I did care. I did Beck's Loser in the UK. Um, oh, no way. <laughs> in this like uh, Lake District, which is kind of up in the mountains and the hills and yeah. these really tiny towns um uh it's almost the equivalent of um if you're in like colorado like breckenridge or dale yeah. or something like that like yeah. these kind of little tiny adorable mountain towns and uh we were walking uh to dinner on the first night this is my wife and i like our most recent trip uh, this past summer we went to the uk and um we were walking by and it, so it was like karaoke and we were like that could be interesting later. And we came home at like 1 a.m. And it was still open. So we go down. It's like a basement room. The room is way too bright. Yeah. Way too bright. Yeah. You can't have a bright room for karaoke. No one in there is <laughs> under 60. Oh, no. But we're like already pretty drunk. Yeah, you're like, fuck it. So, yeah. It. we're like, And the thing about Holly, my wife, she's an incredible singer. Mm. She's phenomenal. And so she's actually she loved karaoke or yeah. loves karaoke. And when we started dating, you know, and now we're married and it just was, it was, I, I had to learn to like it because yeah. she loves doing it so much, right. but I'm horribly embarrassed and she's great <laughs> at it. And so she got down there and she did like a bunch of great songs. I don't even remember what she did, but she's great at everything. Yeah. Um, and then I did Beck loser. And I think the whole room was just completely puzzled. There's like heads cocked sideways. Like <laughs> what the fuck is no this? No way. You know? That's what's 
absurd. They, 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 you treated them to a legend that night. Yeah, I've Obviously. heard. I've heard by the way that the song to do is "Common People." Like people go like, uh, nuts. "My friend Stu, episode one." Yeah, uh, that's his. Or whenever I'm around him and force him into doing it, then that's his go-to. Yeah. yeah. If he goes to the UK, apparently in the UK is huge. People's yeah. like people Love like blow cult. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I, I'm obsessed with karaoke, and I get very passionate about the reasons why, which is another a whole other thing. But yeah, one of my dreams is to open up a Eastside karaoke bar at some point. We would we would hit it up. Um, and I have so many ideas behind it that you know I'll I'll definitely get some advice from you over that. That'd be my goal would be to convert you to being a karaoke fanatic. I I love it. And we, you know what? Actually, I'm going to be more ambitious. My goal is to. Witness you doing debaser oh. in a karaoke lounge and loving every second of it. Yeah. It's gonna happen. That that like the second verse when he's really letting go that yeah. I can't even I was gonna oh, do it. Dude, it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's gonna happen. I can't wait. <laughs> Should we close with the uh, the final track? Let's do it. All right. So the last song is um the one that I'd say me personally am, am probably the least familiar with. But um it's a great song by an amazing artist. Um and the song is called The Moon by The Microphones. Here we go.
All right, that was The Moon by The Microphones. I had to check for a second because he goes by so many different names. He's got The Microphones, Mount Erie, Bill Elbram. Yeah. Um, and I know him from Mount Erie. Yeah. But uh, I did know that song uh, with The Microphones. And I know, like, Microphones was kind of his first. Yeah. Like, his first thing in this. He, he was like a metal drummer in previous life, right? I don't know. He had a band called, he likes metal a lot. Yeah. He had a band called Tugboat. Yeah. Um, when he was like in high school, I think. Okay. Um, but I don't know if he played metal drums for anybody. I feel like he did because my, like, my introduction to him was I had a friend, Cena, in college who has been on the podcast and he was obsessed with the microphones in Mount Erie. So I knew the name Mount Erie through yeah. him. And I went to Lollapalooza in like 2008, I think. That was the first time I'd ever been to like a truly a big city with like skyscrapers. I remember getting into Chicago and like first thing going to, um, what's the big record store chain there? I don't know. Uh, Breakaway, not Breakaway. I can't believe I can't remember that. But whatever it was, I I knew it was like that was the record store to go to. And I was thumbing through, and I saw, like, the Black Wooden Mount Erie EP. Mm-hmm. And it had, like, that really – the I love when record stores do the little, like, staff recommendation, and they tell you why. And mm-hmm. it's just, like, a little sticker on the record that says, pick this because this guy did that. And I, I feel like the description said, like, oh, this is a guy who used to be in, like, a metal band, play drums, and you can hear how it, like, yeah. creeps into his So he style. got really into – that was around the era where – he released an album by this uh, Scandinavian metal band called The Spectacle. Okay. And um, on his label, which was th- – this record came out on K Records. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he eventually split off, and he releases all his own stuff now on a label called P.W. Elverm and Son. Okay. And um, he has always, I think, really loved black metal, like yeah. Scandinavian, dark, heavy, uh, kind of like earth which is like yeah, in yeah. Pacific Very Northwest, kind of like the same yeah. uh, kind of... We're on the precipice of a, of a, a lot of shit I know way too much about, so I have to be <laughs> careful. But um, Dylan Carlson, Earth, like around the same time as Nirvana, actually kind of all part of the same community. Okay. Lots of different styles of music, but all really connected in terms of their penchant for experimentation, mm. pushing the envelope, like taking things deeper and further than... Yeah. Um, than people were, you know, just making it a little aggressive to listen to, kind of, right. in one Which way you, or another. This song, I yes, feel like, this really gonna say. Yeah. does that. Yeah, and go ahead. I want to hear no, you talk about well, it. Well, no, I mean, I mean... Because ha- I want to hear... I've listened to it so many times, and especially somebody who might not be... Like, what what, what about it makes you feel like it's aggressive? Well, it's so... Aggressive is not... This is what I think is so amazing about what he does with his music, because yeah. this is... If you haven't heard any of his stuff, like, this is a very common theme, I feel like, mm-hmm. to most of the music that he does. And he, like, skirts these, like, weird lines where it's, like, you can't, there's no genre to apply to it. And, yeah, I mean, it starts off as acoustic. You're, like, oh, this is going to be kind of like a Immort type of guy or something, you know, it's, uh, which I love Immort, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it's just, like, that acoustic-y singer-songwriter type of dude. It's, like, he has a band name, but it's really just one guy, I think. Um, he's changed his name multiple times. He just, like, there's this stereotype that goes into that. Yeah. Right? And then like at that like one minute mark or whatever you're like 
I think the first time I when I was checking all these earlier and getting the sound levels, I was like, wait, did I hit play in my iTunes at the same time as Spotify? And it's like yeah. two songs at yeah. once because they're, they're so different. And you have like a 20-second period where you're like, I don't think this is working. And then <laughs> it actually comes together. And yeah. you're like, oh, well, now that previous 20 seconds makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And it works. And it's a piece. And it's something that... Uh, like you talking about the earth tones and things like that. Yeah, it's like the heaviness of it still feels very organic and not off-putting and not overly processed or yeah. anything like that. It's just like... Well, and the vocals are mixed so sounds. low. Yeah. You can hardly hear them. Right. And the lyrics to that song are actually... They're amazing. I mean, they're also a little melodramatic. It was written when he was like still a teen, I think, and okay. a little angsty, maybe maybe 20, maybe. Yeah. And um, he was in college. And it's a, it's a, this is a breakup album, basically. The Glow Part Two, which if people haven't heard, I would say is... Mm-hmm up there I, don't, I mean it's hard to make a list when you start making lists but yeah top 10 for me top five records of you know um it's an amazing album but um the the vocals are mixed so low you can barely hear them and i yeah i mean i aggressive may not be the word that comes to mind but i mm. think of it in that way like it's it's confrontational it's transgressive to the listener. the listener it's challenging like, the listener, you yeah. thought you knew what you were going to hear and yeah. it's not going to be anything not, like yeah what you could they're expect. just like kind of sh- rattling you a little bit yeah. and um and I think that, yeah, so all those guys from the Pacific Northwest um, have kind of a, a reputation for, for doing that um, in that K Records community. Um, but yeah, so he, this is like, sorry, full circle. Uh, I don't know that he played in a metal band, but he yeah. was really into metal. Okay. And I think he took a lot of the sensibilities because he started out doing stuff more like this. And it got slowly more and more influenced by like black metal, mm. like deep, heavy bass, heavy, yeah. sludgy, yeah. you know, uh, arrangements. And that album you're talking about was like the pinnacle of that. And Wind's Poem, which is another one. And which yeah, is very I like, that, actually have that yeah. record upstairs. It's yeah. like very David Lynch influenced right. also. And he and has like the, really heavy. he takes the Twin Peaks theme. He does. One of the yeah, songs, yeah. Peaks, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's really dark, but I liked, I think this, yet again, you know, just all three of these tracks that I brought in, I are, Similarly, it just changed music for me. Mm. Um, and I've told this story a million times. The story will get old at some point. But my writing is so not that red. Like, I'm I'm so the opposite of a big deal that I feel like I can just keep telling it because probably anyone listening to this actually hasn't heard the story before because wherever I wrote it before, they haven't read that thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, circa 2003, 2002, I was in this record store called 33 Degrees, which was um, on Guadalupe, uh, North Guadalupe, like north of campus around 43rd Street and Guadalupe. And um, the guy working there uh, actually is this guy, um, Phil, uh, not Phil Elverum, um, but a different Phil, uh, Phil Waldorf, who now is the, he owns and manages and runs uh, Dead Oceans, which is oh, a subsidiary yeah. of yeah. Uh, Jag Jaguar and uh, Secretly Canadian, or I guess Secret, Secretly Canadian is the parent group, and Jag Jaguar is also a subsidiary. And so Phil Waldorf worked at 33 Degrees, and I would go in there and ask him really annoying questions and uh, know nothing about music. And I think he gave me way more credit than I even deserved. He would like, there was one time where he tried to drop a hint about who was coming to sit, like play an in-store during mm-hmm. South Bank. He's like, I'll just say that the backing band or like some clue. And I was like, <laughs> oh. oh, but yeah. I had like no idea, yeah. you know. You did, but um, you don't want to admit it. Yeah, I was like, then. oh, okay. I mean, I didn't say I knew, but I was just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah. So he would always help me pick out records. And I don't even know if he recommended this one, but I do remember picking up the album, like turning it over. Um, and it just like looked cool. 
and it had like the K, you know, for like the shield and the K. And I was like, oh, what's like, it just was cool. And I was like, what's that, you know? And then, you know, again, back to our, well, another motif for this, this conversation, I guess, has been uh, the difference between now and then, and not to judge one is better than the other, but um, you didn't necessarily have the ability to get all music. And so one thing I would do, like we did have the internet then, yeah, it wasn't. We didn't have like Spotify, but what I would do is I would go to like I'd find K Records then, mm-hmm. and I would just listen to like every band on the label. Yeah. So labels, I think, were more maybe functional then than they are now yeah. in some ways. Yeah. And I would go to, you know, a label's website and I'd listen to every band on the label. That's hard with K because they've released so many albums. But um, that was the beginning of a huge, you know excavation like awakening yeah all these artists that yes. you had no idea existed yeah it was crazy yeah. and at that time it was that early 2000s when the blow was on that and mm-hmm. they kind of became a bigger band and mira and they were all kind of making similar music these were all college buds all these yeah. guys went to yeah. school at evergreen state college in olympia washington and to so not to to cut to the chase because i feel like i've been very long-winded all you're, no, all, you're the good. whole time it's not about time <laughs> it's uh it you know it ultimately resulted in me um getting pretty into beat happening as well which yeah. is the band that started the label or calvin johnson who's the one of the members of beat happening started the label in 1983 um uh say, or i guess beat happening started in 1983 and the label officially started in 1984 um but it, it ultimately meant that i ended up writing a, a book about beat happening in the 33 and a third series which i didn't plug in my projects earlier either but that was the thing i, was I did wondering in if 2015 you're yeah, yeah yeah i have it in my notes yeah and so that you know to me, and it's interesting because when you, if you listen to Beat Happening, which is a band that almost made this list, you know, yeah. if you listen to Beat Happening, you listen to, to the microphones, you would think this has nothing to do with each yeah, other. Yeah, no, they're very different. Um, but I think what they have in common is this: uh, two things. One is the challenging the listener. Mm-hmm. They both, in very different ways, push the listener. Um, and I won't belabor the point with how beat happening does it because i would be here all night but yeah uh beat happening challenges the listener and if you've heard them you know what i mean if you haven't just check out a beat happening song you'll be like yeah. what the hell is this um but they both challenge the listener and the other thing that connects them is is their their you know willingness to experiment and this perfectly ties into phil actually wrote the foreword for my book um oh, from, I didn't know phil that. from the microphones yeah okay. um and so um and he talks about it in the foreword but he says you know Calvin, I, I asked like, you know, for like, basically if I could use his studio and he just gave me a key and mm. said like, use it anytime you want. Mm. And the freedom that comes with just like getting there and fuck around, mm-hmm. uh, opens up amazing doors for what's possible in music and it makes for really incredible, interesting music that yeah. deviates from the norm. And again, I think that's always what I've been attracted to. Um, Phil ended up being kind of a recording genius that like, I don't know if he knew or anybody knew he was going to be capable of that. Yeah. But the levels on that song and the way the acoustic guitars are bouncing around, there's like a lot of pans in that song right, and, and right. like just really weird. Um, I actually think it's the opening track that has more pans, but this one probably has some, there's so many layers. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's just an incredibly recorded song that is like jarring to listen to on some level. Yeah. Um, and the horns are like also just kind of serene unexpected and gorgeous too, and unexpected. Like, yeah. yeah. So it, again, kind of blew my world open. And, and so I think that's, you know, the reason that it, for me it feels like evocative. I like that you played it all the way through the last, those couple of oh, that sounds at the, at the end. end. Yeah. And that's a bass in the yeah. studio. Oh, wow. And I never, 
I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. And then I was up there. There's a, like a little festival that takes place, place there every summer or did for a number of years. I don't know if it's going to happen anymore, but, um, and I was up there and I was camping in the, in this state park that's on the very tip of the Island, mm -hmm. which is the Island where he was born and, and raised. And, um, it's Fidalgo Island and the mm -hmm. town is Anacortes and it's very far Northern Washington. Like you can take a ferry from Anacortes to Victoria, British Columbia. So very far Northwestern corner. And um, I was laying there in, in my tent. I, I, we were camping at this festival. And I woke up in the morning, and I just heard, like, boom. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's the sound from the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I've been wondering what that yeah. was all this time. And it's, and it's, it's the foghorns. It's the foghorns. Because Seriously? the fog is really heavy there. And then the funny thing was I – talked to huh. phil and i was like so i never realized that and and his the record that came right after this one yeah. was called mount erie and yeah. that's when he switched that's his name. Switched name yeah, yeah. and um and it's a much weirder record mm -hmm. lots of space in that album like mm -hmm. long bouts of just silence with like minutes of just like oh, yeah. oh, you know and that's all that's happening on the album and um and uh, so I went to Phil and I was like, I didn't real. I just put it together. Like the sound is the, the foghorns. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be the foghorns, but that's actually a bass in the studio. Huh. Like we just replicated the yeah. sounds, which uh, I, that's cool, I thought was though. also funny, yeah. like to not only to, to channel it, but then to like recreate it yourself yeah. in some way. And it sounds exactly like it. Right. Um, and last thing, and then I'll try to take a backseat here for a second and we'll actually talk, but, um, I, uh, I've never heard a band, and I've said this to many people, uh, I've never heard a band that is so evocative of a place as the microphones. Mm. If you go and spend time on Fidalgo Island in the far northwest and in the San Juan Islands, um, the, this fog gets incredibly thick. There's, there's no other band I know in existence mm. and maybe in history that is more closely tied to and evocative of a place than the microphones in Mount Uri are hmm. of that place. I, I think uh, that they are one of the most important bands to ever make music, wow. in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think the body of work stands up as like an artistic, a unified artistic movement in the way that you would talk about like Rothko's paintings or, huh. or, you know, any, any great artists paintings. Um, I think it's singular and, and I think that, uh, it's truly incredible. Um, mm. what he's done to, cause you listen to the moon and you listen to like the way that that, even the low mix vocals, the, the it heavy, like kind of muddled instrumentation, that's the experience of like riding on a ferry across the water and just running smack into a fog bank, mm. you know, the acoustics into the, just, you know, it's, it's the spiritual or emotional so it's the same emotional texture yeah. that he's capturing in an auditory format. It's really mind blowing. Um, I don't know. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually really cool. Cause I think about like, you know, in, in more of the memory tracks premise in the sense of like, uh, you know, listen, certain songs you become associated with places like that happens, right. You listen to things and like, and it usually has to do with because you heard it when you were there and like it became a constant when you were in that presence. Um, but the idea of like an artist actually 
like writing it with that purpose for themselves for a very specific place as opposed to you the listener and then still being able to connect as a listener to that and then you've gotten that experience by actually being there to experience it i this is now on my destination list <laughs> you you won't be disappointed yeah i that's mean it's really cool i i think that if there were if money were no object i'd probably try to just like get a house out there absolutely i mean it's it's amazing there and uh i mean i stand by that i i've I've tried to have this conversation with other people and you know everyone always wants to say well what's art everything's different for different people but yeah of course i really firmly believe Hmm. that if if there's an artist making music that like that you could put in that category and i think part of it's because the the work has been so um unified Mm. and it's changed a lot from this to like the really black metal-y stuff and then he kind of started doing more of a blend of them where some songs are really heavy some were lighter you know but it's um yeah it's it's i i encourage you to fall fully off the precipice of like microphones mount eerie Um, i love that it's a deep it's a deep well that's cool. I'm I'm definitely going to uh, follow up. I do have Lynn's poem, and I've got Black Wooden, but I don't have anything for microphones. Yeah. So, um, I feel like you know what? I take that back. There's like some sort of double or quadruple uh, LP that might just be like a bunch of random things. I'll have to show you. After yeah, this. it's. I think you're awesome talking idea. about um, not don't wake me up, but um, oh my god, it's. I know what you're talking about. I got it, and I haven't listened to it much. So yeah. Maybe this will be my uh, gateway to cool. connect with it. Yeah, it's a good one. I kn- I know the one you're talking about. So. Yeah, very cool. Well, we've come to the end of the songs and and the selections, and I know that you know when you we were going back and forth last night over Facebook on you know kind of the different takes, and I think you had it down to like eight songs and came up with the three. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you did justice to to your picks? Are Absolutely. There, are there some things that like you you really felt like, man, if only I could have slipped that in too. I I don't. I think that if um. I think that I actually meant to say this at the very top of the show. Um, I will tell a story that I feel like will seem unconnected and then I'll try to connect. No, yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of person that has always said that's funny instead of laugh. Hmm. I don't know if you know that guy or that person, but I've never noticed that. But... Uh, like people will, I've gotten better about it. <laughs> I grew up in a in a house that no, was like super a little bit just every time I laugh. Yeah, well, <laughs> I grew up in a house that was a little bit like heavy to be in. And it was like good and my childhood was great and yeah. I'm super privileged. Yeah. So I don't mean to be shitty about that, but it was just heavy, mm-hmm. a little bit heavy. And um and uh I just don't really know how to have fun. That's mm. the that's the truth of it. Mm. And uh I've had to learn how to have fun. And I'm a pretty anxious person and so i think that for me the processing of uh of things is really cerebral hmm. like when i hear a joke i'm more like is that funny why is it yeah, funny? You what are the parts it. of it what right. are, i unpack it it's immediately a lot of unpacking and then i'm like that's funny and sometimes people think i'm being sarcastic or that i don't think it's funny and that hmm. i don't i'm like that's you know it's funny but usually it's genuine when i'm I just that's right. what it's comes a different out. reaction yeah the norm then the norm yeah. Yeah. and i think the same thing happens to me with music where uh, it's actually harder for me than i think a lot of people i'm always impressed with people when yeah. they can do kind of what you're asking them to do on this podcast which is yeah. like and i got there with some of these songs and i i think that i had to tap into my own memories which is a beautiful yeah. thing yeah. i really appreciate the whole format and what it's 
gotten me to do cool. as I've worked yeah. on it. But, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm always impressed with that. Like, I was right here and this happened. And I think these songs do that for me. But if I'm honest, more of it is just that it's a retrospective of being able to recognize that mm. maybe these are, these songs represent points where my brain shifted. They're like watershed moments yes. for you that stand up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're more like, cerebral yeah. to be honest there are memories associated with them and i think some of the other tracks i had on the list were more like these uh also important moments but were more of what might be like a clear evocative memory like yeah the shins carrying is creepy right. like another side one track one where like that's the song that i i first had sex to yeah. and like had sex all the time yeah. while that record was playing right because right. i had gone to like salvation army in longview uh -huh. and gotten my first record player like bought like an old school like record player and speakers and that yeah. worked and like hooked it up and and i bought that shins album it had just come out yeah. and uh i only had like two or three records and so like i was just Those listening to the, the shins and having sex you know <laughs> like yeah um and i still actually maybe it's just because that was the first time i had sex um and I hope that people aren't doing the math too much on figuring out how old I was <laughs> when I had sex for the first time. But I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I was listening to that a ton. And so, and I still think it's great music for having sex because I think it's so tied to that memory for me. And, yeah. um, but like that was one just cause it, I, it's more evocative as a memory and like, so there were some, a few like that, that I, that I entertained, but yeah. I think these are, these for me stand out as songs where when they come on, you know something moves me like to the yeah. core you know well yeah i i think you you really did a great job of your picks and your stories around it and uh i think that that it it's good to hear you say that the the format caused you to reflect and feel good about it too because you know my hope is that for guests is that this is you know it's a reminder of the power of memory and looking back to things and tying things up and reflecting on and seeing how that changes over time and you know, it's a good exercise whether or not we capture all of that in a single episode you know it lives on beyond that with how you reflect on it and share it with others and we'll see yeah we'll see I, it goes. I think you did a great job with pushing me to do that i mean i'm i'm super impressed with the the idea and the format and i cool. i loved your uh, strictness about it too i was like no one ever stretches it to four or five and you're like <laughs> nope you know so I think that's really good. And I did have someone that recently, uh, a really good friend of mine, Ryan, uh, who just recently moved up to Seattle, and he was messaging me the other day, and he was like, but I just can't pick. So what if I pick like 12, and then you pick the ones that you want me to talk about? And I was like, nope. Sorry, dude. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. I um, I think it's really great. I need to get you to write some prompts for my English classroom, maybe. Oh, you cool. Know, yeah, make, I'd love to. Make yeah. my kids. I'd love to. This would be a great exercise for them, actually, so. to hey, like, pick a song. I mean, and I, so, yeah, we, we talked earlier about the, the different ranges of guests. And, I mean, I want my goal is to do this for, until I, you know, can't. Uh, and I love having totally different ranges of guests. And, you know, I mentioned this in other episodes, but, you know, ultimately I'd love to do individual family members like my family members uh, as a way to get to know them better and open up in different ways and things like that but otherwise outside of the format it might not actually happen and um, you know I do co-workers I do friends friends of friends you know, older people younger people people my age I'm fascinated with that so I would, I would love to see how other people take it in different formats and, and that I, I think hopefully you know it's good 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love. I I'm really appreciative of the uh, the invite, and I love talking with you, man. So a lot of fun. I'm glad it worked out. Really cool. Until next time. Thanks right. so much, Brian. Thank you. Memory tracks.